0: Hello and welcome to episode 58 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer Stewart. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has already reached out and told me what the challenges are that you struggle with as a manager. You do not have an easy job, and knowing what it is that is top of mind for you helps me figure out what topics to cover and what kind of content to produce. So thank you for sharing. And if you haven't yet, please reach out to me by email or on LinkedIn on social media, or go to the link mamykscom new course, and tell me what your biggest challenges and frustrations are as a manager. All of those links are in the show notes, so you can find me. Now, today's guest is Bob Duzin. Bob, along with Sue Bingham, are co-authors of the book, Creating the High-Performance Workplace. They collaborate with leaders and organizations in all industries to help create the highest performing work environments possible. Bob also speaks at numerous expos and events throughout the country each year on these topics. Bob and I talk about the insights he and Sue gathered when writing their book, the importance of relationships, setting high expectations, and what happens when you really trust your people and assume the best. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rockstar boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer stewart Bob, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to acknowledge I'm a little bit sad that Sue couldn't be on the call with us, but I am really looking forward to talking with you about all things culture and the fact that we both have some Kansas City roots in us is just very exciting.
1: Yeah, that's right. And when I started making connection with you several weeks ago, one of the first things I noticed was that you had some Kansas City ties. So it's always good to know.
0: Yeah, and Kansas City is such a great place, and I love my time there. So just good to find another Kansas City in. All right, moving on. We are talking about culture. And I've talked about this topic a few times with different guests. So maybe we can start with how do you define a high performance culture? What is a high performing culture? in your mind?
1: Yeah, there's, there's several ways you could define it, obviously. But one of the ways I like to put it in a nutshell is I want leaders and managers to be able to create an environment where people want to go to work, not have to go to work. It's that feeling that this is a place I belong, that I want to be, and that I'm really valued, that they really want me here. I'm not just another as we used to say in construction, another warm body, just to fill a spot and and get some work done. I really have meaning and bring something to the table with this company.
0: So why is it so hard to do that? I mean, I think we all, you know, at least I hope most managers want to create that kind of culture in their teams. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably definitely want to. So why is it so hard? Why do leaders struggle so much with creating that kind of culture?
1: One of the things that makes it difficult in my experience in working with a lot of different organizations and a lot of different industries over the years is that leaders get caught up in what I would refer to as traditional leadership styles. If you go back 50 or 60 years to Douglas McGregor, the behavioral uh, psychologist, who, who came up then with Theory X and Y, talking about how we tend to lead differently. We, some leaders are more value and people-oriented, while some are more autocratic and, and more domineering, command and control type leaders. And so a lot of leaders today have been led that way, and it's, they're great people, but it's the way they've been taught to lead. And it's also kind of an easy go-to position To become that autocratic person and just say, we got to get this done and make the decision and not really show people all the time how much you do value what they bring to the table. So a lot of it is just our own paradigms, our own traditions, the way we've been taught and brought up in leadership.
0: And are there signals, are there ways to kind of tell if you are that kind of autocratic leader? I mean, it's something I find always fascinating is when people have those kind of aha moments and they say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was doing some of these things that actually are inhibiting my ability to make that kind of strong, healthy culture.
1: Absolutely are. When we do a workshop, a leadership workshop, one of the things we do early in the week is take the participants through exercises that really open their eyes to just what you said. Wow, I I didn't really realize I'd been doing this. And they realize how they feel, they think they've been interacting with their employees, but interacting or getting input or engaging your employees, for instance, is more than just stopping by their desk and asking them some questions or getting some input or sending out a survey. They realize that for instance, they they may have worked with employees for years that there's a lot of important things that have happened in their lives that they don't even know about. So their eyes become open to you have to start building relationships with people, get to know your people. You know, and so often in traditional environments, we're taught, and I, I spent some time as a human resources director, but you know we're we're taught all the time in traditional environments to not get too close to your employees. You know, you got to maintain that quote unquote professional distance. And we don't believe that. You need to get to know your employees better, get to know who they are because every employee is different and every employee has different things they need that are going to make them successful.
0: Yeah, I see this with my clients as well that there's this line that we think we're supposed to withhold or kind of we're supposed to stand, you know, on one side as the boss and not be too friendly with our team members. And, you know, in my experience also like it that doesn't actually help. It doesn't help when you hold yourself apart from the team. You know, obviously, you need to give your team some space because you are the manager. you are the boss. But at the same time, getting to know them and letting them see who you are, you know usually turns out really well. It strengthens the teamwork altogether.
1: it does. and And you know, maybe one of the reasons the traditional leaders and traditional human resources people have always said to stay away from that is, they believe that if you get close to someone or you start, you know, there's this one person that you go out to lunch with more often, it's going to look like favoritism. And in a high performance culture, it's absolutely not looked at that way. People in a high performance culture who are treated as though they are valued because they are, are treated fairly, are engaged and involved. It's not a big thing to them if somebody's going out to lunch with somebody or spending time talking to a certain person because we assume that the leader in a high-performance culture, you have to have the positive assumption that they have the best interests of the people and the organization in mind. They're not doing it to be exclusive because even when you try to do that as a leader, well, I'm going to maintain this professional distance, people still can have thoughts of favoritism I mean, that's not a matter of how much you see, you're see you seen talking to someone. It's the culture you create. It's the mindset you create.
0: I totally agree. So what are some of the most essential elements to creating that positive working environment where people are doing their best work and they love it?
1: Yeah. Sue Bingham, the co-author of our book, Creating the High-Performance Workplace, Sue's husband 40 years ago started with the organization he was currently at at the time, started working on looking into what makes the highest performing work environments in the country. And so he went around and interviewed successful companies and came up with elements that eventually evolved into eight elements that we feel if you fully commit and adopt these elements, you will create the highest performing workplace you can create. And those elements real quickly, there's eight of them, Positive assumptions about people, which is not just positive thoughts, it's assuming people want to do more, they have the best interests of the company at heart, and so on. Identifying and eliminating negatives in the work environment. Negatives are things that make people feel like a second-class citizen or they belong to a different group. It's about treating everyone in that respect fairly. In other words, some simple things are Locked up storage cabinets that we have in a lot of offices and manufacturing plants, warehouses, we lock things up. That's a negative because it sends a message that you trust the leader or manager to have a key, but you don't really trust the employees to have a key and things like that. Time clocks are another one that's a negative because I don't trust that you'll report the correct time, so I'm going to have you punch a time clock. The third one's mutual trust and respect. Then there's open two-way adult-to-adult communication, employee involvement and empowerment, high-level training, competitive wages and benefits. We feel that if wages are competitive, employees view that as being fair. They know that they're not going to be the highest paid person in the industry at what they do, but they're being paid competitively. And then the final one is the culmination of the other elements, and that is setting high expectations. You can do all these other great things and have this great environment, but you're still only going to see average results if you're not setting the expectations of your people high enough. People will perform to the expectations that are set for them. It's our human nature. So those are the things grouped together kind of in a nutshell that create the high performing work environment that we're looking for.
0: So of all of those eight, I mean they're they're fascinating. Some, you know, I would have guessed had I, you know, if you had asked me, I would have been like, "Oh yes, the, you know, a couple of these obvious and some of them are are a little bit less so." Can you talk more about this expectations one because that's something I never would have thought of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When you think about high expectations, we start with high expectations when we look at an employee's or a position's job description or what we refer to as a job profile. Those job profiles Have to be more than just a list of tasks. Too often you have a list of 17 things that this employee needs to be able to do to have this job. And if the employee says, Yeah, I've done all 17 of those today, they feel they've done an adequate job. And they have based on the expectation we've set. But if we set expectations that we want them to be involved, for instance, in problem solving, in promoting the company, in helping their teammates become successful. If we promote and challenge and expect them to do those things, that brings a whole different meaning to the position than just saying, I did all of these tasks. Because that's not setting high expectations, that's setting average or compliant expectations. So you have to, the leader has to, to decide, do I want compliance? Do I want an employee who's just going to come in do the the average or minimum or average amount of work and go home? Or instead of compliance, do I want commitment? Do I want that employee continually thinking about how can I do this better? What else could I do to help somebody else be successful? What else would help the company in this area or this area? And it expands their thinking to a higher level than just getting the minimum amount of work done.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it's reframing a job into responsibilities in addition to tasks or kind of to complement a set of tasks, but actually that you have responsibility and accountability for acting in certain ways or, you know, kind of thinking in certain ways.
1: It is and personal accountability in this is a big thing. And, And you hit it right on the head when you said tasks versus responsibility. And I really look at it as tasks versus outcomes. Here's a list of tasks I can have you do. So if you do those tasks in an average fashion, you can say, I did what I was expected to do. But if the outcome is, you know, if you're in a manufacturing situation, a company, and, and your outcome is, I want to create the highest quality, most effective, efficient piece of whatever it is we're manufacturing possible, right? Right instead of my job is to put this bolt here and to put this knob on here and to put it in this box and package it up, I can say I did all those things, but those aren't really high expectations. High expectations is, is that the absolute highest quality product I could produce? And so that's where the difference starts coming in. It's not setting unrealistic expectations. It's just, it's setting them high enough that, that people will meet that challenge. One of the ways to look at that is you look at a phrase we use a lot at, at work and away from work. When we tell people, just do the best you can. And that is absolutely not motivating when you tell somebody, hey, just do the best you can. If I've got a person and I say, look, this is going to be a really tough job. It was bid really tight. We don't have a lot of money in this project. The people we're working with at this other organization aren't aren't very good people to work with, they don't pay on time, they're, they're really argumentative, but just go out there and do the best you can. That makes any result I get acceptable. Because if it doesn't go well, I can say, well, I did the best I could. Instead, say, look, you know, we realize this is going to be a challenge. This project is going to be a challenge. But you've met these challenges before, and we've seen how capable you are at performing all of these processes and functions. And I'm really looking forward to the results that I'm going to see when you complete this project. That sends the person out with a, a different mindset of what he or she is capable of doing.
0: Oh, I love that. And now I'm also thinking about all the times I've said, just do the best you can.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I've done it with my kids. You know, my sons, they're both pretty good, for instance, in math in school. And if they get A's in math, that's great. But then if one of them comes in and says, boy, we've really been working on some tough stuff and we've got a test on Friday, I just don't know that I'm going to do as well as I've been doing. Well, I could say, well, you know, just do the best you can. Instead, I set the expectation. I said, look, you've done well before. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to spend an hour and a half each night working problems. I want you to email your teacher if you have any questions. I want you to get to bed extra early Thursday night. Here's all the things you're going to do to be really successful. And you've shown before you can do it. And I have every confidence that you can do it this time. And I'm, I'm looking forward to a great result. That sends him into that week of studying with a, a lot different attitude and mindset, really, than just do the best you can. Because again, then if he comes back with a C, Or D, he can just say, well, I did the best I could. I told you it was going to be really tough. And so do the best you can. It makes mediocrity acceptable.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's talk about one of the other elements. Is there another element that you think is particularly important or was particularly surprising when you learned about it or is particularly hard for leaders to adapt to? Is there one that just stands out for you?
1: I think the other one I would say is is on the other end, high expectations is, is what we usually talk about in our eighth element. The first element is positive assumptions about people. I touched on it a little bit earlier. And what we talk about when we talk about positive assumptions about people is it comes down to the idea of you get what you give, you get back what you put out. We believe, and and when we talk about this in workshops and with clients, we believe that 95% of people in the workplace in general are great people. They're good people. They'd love to to be able to do great things. They're trustworthy. Now, there's a few. There's the 5% that maybe aren't, but most people are. But what we end up doing is, what leaders end up doing is managing for those 5%. And they try to manage the five percenters. And when we do that, we're having that negative assumption we have that people are going to do the wrong things. That spreads to the whole population without the leader really even being aware of it or being conscious of it. And so what leaders tend to do if they have negative assumptions about employees, if they don't think employees are very bright, they're very motivated, they don't really care about the company, they want to do as little as possible. If leaders think that, then leaders are going to act that way toward them. They're not going to ask them for their input or ask them to solve problems or make decisions because they don't think the employee is capable of it or wants to. The more that the leader does that, you know, doesn't engage the employee, talks down to them, ignores them, the more the employee exhibits that very behavior. They'll say, well, if they don't want to hear from me, I guess I won't tell them anything. And the more the employee tends to essentially shut down, the more the leader ignores them. And it's a downward spiral. And so you create this divide. And so if you look at the positive side of it, it works the same way. And leaders have to make the initiation of this process. If leaders start having more positive assumptions, the 95% employee will respond in kind. If leaders assume, that this employee wants to be challenged, they'll challenge them and the employee will respond. They may need some coaching, some assistance, some help, but they'll respond. And the more they respond, the more the leader will want to challenge them and, and give them more responsibility, more problem solving, more whether it's promotions or just more involvement and engagement. And then that spiral goes up because the more the leader shows that they value the employee the 95% employee will respond and demonstrate and prove that that leader is right. They are capable of more. So on both ends, from positive assumptions to high expectations, we have to understand that 95% of people in our companies are capable of far more than we usually uh, get them involved in.
0: And do you see that this positive assumptions piece spreads through the team, meaning that People will have more positive assumptions about their colleagues when managers have positive assumptions about their teammates.
1: That's a great point, Mamie. And that's where we start creating this culture. It does spread through everybody because now everybody is feeling more engaged and more valued. And if a member of a team, if a team has been challenged and a member of the team is struggling with the portion of the project, for instance, that they're working on, other team members will step in and help and want that person to succeed. If the leader is operating on negative assumptions, you're absolutely right. Not only will that employee not respond to the leader because the leader's not engaging that employee, but they'll also be less likely to engage with their fellow employees and help them succeed. So yeah, it spreads through the whole organization.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I see this in meetings where you know one person has ideas they want to share but they're worried that if they state those ideas or if they state a a criticism of a decision that's being made that everyone's going to look at them you know with <laughs> like with horror in their eyes like who are you to to share that or gosh you don't really understand this you're you know you're saying things that don't don't apply here and when you come at it with those positive assumptions and you assume that each person is speaking because they are trying to enhance the decision because they are trying to make the outcome of the problem solving brainstorming session better. It really changes the kinds of conversations you can have and what people are willing to share not just with their manager but also with in front of their team members
1: yeah, with each other and and you're right and and this goes back to the traditional leadership I talked about earlier. One of the reasons leaders don't do more of that too is it's again, I said before it's how they were brought up as leaders and taught how to lead. But there's this fear of sometimes of losing control or not looking like the leader. Well, if I'm having to go to everybody else for answers and problem solving, isn't that what I'm supposed to be doing as a leader? And maybe, but really not. What you're supposed to be doing as a leader is growing your company and growing your people and making your people better, making your team and your company better. However, you can do that. And so leaders really can embrace and and see this come to fruition when they start letting go and they realize they don't have to be the smartest person in the room. They don't have to come up with all the answers and they don't have to worry about losing control. It's really an issue with some leaders is "I've I've got to keep control of what's going on here. Look, if somebody keeps giving you ideas that are totally absurd, have a talk with them. Sit down and have a talk with them um, say, you know, I appreciate your desire to have some input. Here's the types of things I'm seeing and here's what I'm looking. So have that conversation, but don't just not ask anybody anything because you're worried about losing control Hmm. because that gets us that traditional culture that, that I've talked about.
0: So what's one thing that, you know, listeners can do when they, you know, arrive at work today or show up tomorrow and say, I want to, I want to do one thing to help shift my culture towards these eight elements.
1: One thing I might suggest is look at your organization and your people and look at who you can start building relationships with. We think we know our people, but start really getting to know your people. As leaders, take an employee to coffee or to lunch or have them come in your office for a half an hour and just talk. Don't talk necessarily even about business-related things. Just start getting to know your people better and engaging them because None of this works as well, or some of it doesn't work at all, if we don't have those relationships built with our people. So we think we know our people, but go in tomorrow and start evaluating your relationships. Just sit back and look, how well do I know him or her and know what they want to do? What's their motivation both at work and away from work? But you know, so many leaders don't even know that their employees want to do more or want to do other things because they don't engage them. So the first thing I would do is start looking at your relationships with your people and start building those relationships. And once that happens, then all of the other things, the positive assumptions, the engagement, the training, the high expectations are going to be embraced by the company and by the employees a lot more easily.
0: Fantastic. All right. So we are coming to the end. So as you know, the show is called The Modern Manager, and it's all about being a rock star manager with a thriving team. So can you tell us about one of the amazing managers that you had the pleasure of working for and what made him or her so great?
1: Yeah. One one of the managers I had was when I first moved into the human resources and training area, and I had been a project manager for a construction company. And One of the things about the the leader that I had for a couple of years and I learned a lot from was his ability to be fair with people and not to treat everybody the same. Fair isn't about treating everybody the same. Fair is about giving each individual the things that they need to really be successful and to thrive. And he was so good at that. He didn't spend a lot of time doing specific you know, evaluations of each individual. He, he did it through what I said a little bit ago, and that is getting to know people really well. He would continually bring me into his office just to have a 15-minute discussion. It might be about work, it might not. But he got to know me personally, and that enabled him to help me and guide me with the things that I needed help with because he knew me. And he knew what I needed. He knew when he needed to step back and let me handle it. Or he knew when he maybe needed to offer some guidance. He spent so much time getting to know me and understand who I was as a person. And I've always remembered that. And I I try to do that with everybody I come in contact with.
0: Oh, such an important lesson. Thank you. So thank you so much for being a guest. Where can people keep up and learn more about you, Bob, and your book and the work that you do?
1: Yeah, our, our website is HPWP, that stands for High Performance Workplace, hpwpgroup.com. And I'm uh, on Twitter at HPWPBob. And uh, the book is available, Creating the High Performance Workplace is available on Amazon, but you can also link to it through the website, hpwpgroup.com. So that's how people can find out more information. And the book outlines a lot of the things that that we've been talking about today.
0: Wonderful. Well, all those and other links will be in the show notes so everyone can find them really easily. Thank you again for sharing. I feel like, as always, I learned something from these conversations and I'm going to start evaluating my relationships, even though I, I think I do a good <laughs> job of it, but I am sure that I can reflect and learn something from that as well. Absolutely. I just love what Bob was talking about with setting high expectations. It's something my dad used to say also, don't be surprised when people meet your expectations, meaning that if you set them low, they'll be met. And if you set them high, they'll be met. So to develop your leadership skills even more, Bob has generously offered 15% off when you register for one of their upcoming leadership workshops. The next one is scheduled for October, 2019 in Dallas, but there will be many more throughout the year. To get that discount and many more incredible guest bonuses and episode guides, go to MamieKS.com join and become a member of the Modern Manager community. Again, all those links are in the show notes, including a link to subscribe to my newsletter so that you can get each episode and blog article, plus all of those links delivered to your inbox. Go to MamieKS.com podcast to subscribe to that newsletter. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.